Hello fellow humans, welcome to the Art of Human podcast, the podcast dedicated to celebrating humanhood via insightful, unique perspective from human beings of all walks of life. In the hopes to inspire listeners to live a healthier life, I am your host Sapien, I hope you enjoy. So you're here, you're wearing a mask. Could you explain to me and the listeners why you're wearing a mask today? Yeah, it was good. So this is uh, Sam Boy. I go by Sam Boy and whatnot. And I, I uh, run uh, It's All Relative Podcast or IAR Podcast on uh, IG and whatnot. And I'm wearing a mask today and this hat and these glasses and whatnot, stuff that I don't usually wear outside because there's been a lot of you know, radical. There's been a lot of uh, radicalization in society, a lot more polarization and extremists coming out um, on all sides. And it just seems that no matter what point of view you choose to take, if you are a person who is vocal and expresses your your opinions, you know, saying out there for public consumption, that there is somebody who will find you problematic, just t- or just take issue with the you know, side that you happen to be taking, or even if you're not taking a side, no matter what, as long as you're putting yourself out there, um, you know, saying so you're making yourself a possible target. We see people getting run up on, you know, whether it's at a gas station, a grocery store, or, you know, saying, or just, you know, right into their crib or their job, you know, saying out in a public park. So, I mean, it can happen anywhere and anybody, and I'm very open, becoming more open about my views on issues, especially politics and social, you know, cultural type stuff. And, it's just a precaution I'm taking for myself and, and uh, for those uh, around me. Oh, I got you. So just to kind of preserve your identity a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Because the thing is, at the end of the day, all this information, like there's still plenty of, of information of me that's out there, but I'm just not going to hand it over on a silver platter. I'm not going to make it so easy to be like, oh, here's like 20 different pictures and here's all the times he's checked into these locations. Here's, you know, blah, 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 blah. I got you. And then that's why you suggested... Um that Skype was a bit more of a safer network than, than Zoom, right? Yeah and, yeah, and the thing is, you know, Skype, because, yeah, cause for those that don't know, Zoom has had back-to-back scandals um, because, you know, since the, since the pandemic shut everything down, a lot of people have been running to these conference, video conference-type apps, uh, Zoom, and for some reason, whatever reason, Zoom, even though, it, uh, uh, you know, even though we've had other ones like Skype and there's, like, the one on Facebook Messenger and there's plenty of other ones, IG, um, Zoom all of a sudden got you know huge notoriety, and the things that were uncovered is that they recently changed the subscription service to where if you're using the free version of the app, it will no longer encrypt your calls and whatnot. So, and they said that they explicitly did this so that way they can uh, work with law enforcement better. And so, you know, then the question becomes like, okay, so then you're just saying that if you can pay enough money, then you'll keep shit encrypted, and but that seems that seems to just put a bigger bounty, you know what I'm saying, um, on those issues anyway. And then there's also the fact that, you know, Google employees have been banned from using it. And, you know, I think it sets a pretty big precedent if, if Google is like, hey, this thing isn't securing us, you know, us for just to do video conferences with, um, especially when they you would think they'd be capable of making their own app. And then the third point is a lot of people have been getting kicked out. A lot of people have been kicked out of their homes, their apartments, evictions and whatnot, because this pandemic, you know, destroyed the economy and the government's left us out to dry. And Zoom has been playing its role in this shit by helping courts that are usually that are closed, helping them to speed up evictions exclusively. 
not like speeding up evictions and then like violent crimes and then like police corruption or you know stuff like that no just to speed up evictions and uh you know different cases related to uh getting people out their homes and whatnot and the way that they're speeding up that process is by purposely like knowing that the people who are losing their homes probably don't have a connection to the internet or a computer is that kind of what it is well, it's not just that. It's just it's just the fact that, like, look, you can see all around that it's, it's basically just showing what side they're on, because anybody who's paying any sort of attention or just lives a regular life, you will you either yourself or know somebody else who has had huge um, has had has had huge a huge drop in their you know income and their quality of life, I'm sure, you know, so related to this uh, pandemic. And so for Zoom to come in, um, almost like a new kid on the block, and it's basically just saying that, yeah, we're going to work with the state, we're going to work with the government, we're going to work with the police, all of whom are you know, facing heavy criticism at the moment for continuing on with these barbaric practices. Like the ones, and, and they're just like, hey, we're here, we're here for you, we're here to work with you, we want to be on your side. You know what I'm saying? This is basically, the only thing they haven't said yet is... Um, uh, back the blue or blue lives matter, or, you know, shit like that. You I know, got you. So that in, in, in all aspects, they're supporting the government a hundred percent, although they're not publicly announcing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm guessing zoom hasn't said anything regarding black lives matter, right? I have, I'm not going to, um, I won't speculate on that. I haven't, uh, I don't know for sure. Um, but the thing is, even if they were to at this point, it'd be like, damn, like you couldn't even keep your nose clean, you know what I'm saying, for a certain amount of time to get people the benefit of the benefit of the doubt. Because the thing is, like, no doubt, like even Skype, Skype is probably just as bad, but we don't know. You know what I'm saying? They haven't had back to back controversies related. Um, it's not something that's popped up on my radar. And I like to think of somebody who keeps up with, you know, that sort of stream of information. So I feel like it would have come up you know, saying during this time or, or you know, or the IG messengers, uh, video, you know, calls and whatnot, or the, um, the Facebook messenger or, or any of the other, you know, saying apps. For some reason, Zoom came up out of nowhere. It seems maybe they've been around for years and just have really low engagement, but they, they, you know, they came up real quick and just uh, whoever's in charge, the CEOs just decided that, yeah, this is the side we want to be on. And the, the two scandals that you're referring to, are they, which ones, are they particular cases or... So, so there was the, so I guess that there was the subscription, the uh, subscription one, right? The subscription and encryption one. I haven't heard any cases specific to that, um, but there's been plenty of cases already. There's been cases already pushed through various means, um, through Zoom and otherwise, of people losing their homes. And as you said, like you know, some people don't have access to the internet and they get their phones cut off and whatnot. There are some people who just went there. I, I just read a story about like, you know, one of the sessions that was had where they're just pushing people in and out basically saying that um, a lot of people there didn't have any lawyers. They didn't understand the, they didn't have any, uh, you know, legal representation. They didn't understand some of the terms and the phrasing and sh- all the jargon and whatnot. Um, and, I, and, I, and I don't know exactly what amendment you know, that is, or that's some, something like under the Miranda rights or whatever, but it's like, how are you in this, how are you in court and shit without legal representation? If you went out and committed a crime and got arrested and shit, they read you your Miranda rights, they're going to tell you that you're going to get, you know, same representation on the state and whatnot. You know, but in this situation, it's like, this has been a way for them to help circumvent, to help them to circumvent the normal course of due process. 
and uh, it's just, just you know, it's just disgusting. And the their excuse for doing so would be, well, the pandemic, the pandemic's going on, so we don't have our usual, blah blah blah, right? And I agree 100% because, I mean, especially lower income people, it's more likely that they don't have an education like people who have a higher income, mm-hmm. and so naturally they're not going to have as much knowledge to 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 back themselves up, right? Because mm-hmm. we we all know that knowledge is power, and if you lack knowledge, then somebody else can take advantage of you, manipulate you with that knowledge that they have. Exactly. Fuck, man. All right, man. Let's take let's take it back. Tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself. Like, I mean, obviously you said your name and you said talking about your podcast, but just like where'd you grow up? What's kind of like you know, if you just had to explain to us who who you were as a person yeah. in whatever shape or form you wanted to describe yourself, if you can just tell us. Yeah, so I'm from, uh, I've, I've lived in different, basically I'm from uh, uh, Los Angeles, different parts of Los Angeles. I've never lived in the city proper, but I've lived in various cities uh, within the county. And after high school, um, and then after high school, I went to go live uh, in North Carolina for a bit, did that for about seven and a half years, and then I've been back. And I will say throughout that time, so as far as like me coming up and whatnot, um, uh, I'm a black man, you know, from, uh, uh, you know, L.A. County and whatnot. I grew up in a family, working class people, whom, uh, you know, either either they just had, you know, regular working class jobs or they were like the counselors in schools and whatnot. That was kind of the dynamic that I came up under. And then um, one of the things that was significant about my childhood is that even though I'm the oldest of multiple children, um, I never really felt like. A big brother because I spent so much time, not even like the first you know several years of, of uh, early childhood and whatnot, not around my siblings, not around parts of my family, um, and living with different like family members and whatnot. Mm. Um, and and it's not because there was like particular turmoil or whatever. It was just a matter of of um, it, it's just a matter of of you know different resources and people in your life being available to help you manage you know saying the task of raising you know family. It's a very you know. It's a very difficult thing. You know, when I was born, <clears throat> when I was, uh, excuse me, by the time I was six years old, you know, saying there was all four of us. So four kids within a six-year span for two people, that's a lot to handle. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, the point I'm trying to get to is, so I ended up spending a lot of time by myself or around adults. And, 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 and I should say mild-mannered adults, you know. Um, what does that just, mean, mild-mannered? Mild mannered, so they weren't, you know, I didn't, when I say adults, I wasn't growing up around, like, um, people, I, you know, there's people who just, all they did was they went, to, uh, they went to work, and, you know, they had a little circle or whatever, and they would have their little hobbies and activities and whatnot, but it was just very mild, very vanilla, you could say, very mild mannered, um, you know, adults I was hanging around, and so I took on a lot of that. As a result, I grew up not being very uh, socialized, and... You know, I've never been tested for, like, autism or anything, and it took me a long time to understand what they meant by, like, autism being a social disease in that it happens as a form of you being conditioned to not engage with people, right? Or or the conditions that have made you what you are have left you unable or at a disadvantage in being able to communicate with people, pick up on different cues, you know, saying anticipate, you know, saying conversation and able to provide feedback, etc. Right? So... 
definitely was dealing with that and then became super aware of it like in, in my teenage years that oh shit i really need to like really start developing myself and whatnot and did you, you say know, that did you say that you were diagnosed with autism no no i said i've never been i said i've never been um i've never knowingly been diagnosed with it i was just using that as like that's the way that autism is described Oh, okay, and, I got you. And just try, and just trying to find, you know, um, trying to find any overlays, just re- just relating to that because that's the term that I best know to explain, um, like looking back how it was. So I'm not okay. saying that like, I'm not saying that like, oh, I was never, I was never diagnosed as this, but I do feel it's that way. It's just me looking and being like, oh, this kind of seems like what's implied by the description of social autism that I, as I've heard it. Okay. Yeah. So I just kind of grew. I, basically, I just grew up. Not really knowing how to communicate with my peers, um, not being really savvy on, you know, should just be kind of, you know, out of the loop, you know, which is fine to a degree, but it's like it, 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 it was just becoming obvious that it was tearing a little too much in one direction, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, luckily around this time, my parents, they got me and my siblings involved in a bunch of different activities and hobbies and stuff, and sports mostly, and extracurricular activities that helped, you know, break that shit down and show that there's also some initiative that I need to take in there's also some initiative that I need to take in learning how to, you know, be more adaptable, be willing to try different things, to work through pain, work through discomfort and to persevere through stuff, even if it doesn't seem immediately rewarding. Um, you know, those are just, you know, just trying to just trying to really take like the big chunks right now. Um, and then, you know, this this path kind of continued, and then I left high school and whatnot, and then that began a, like a whole other way of development. I was uh, challenging a lot of my religious and spiritual views that I'd grown up as a teenager. I was a, I was a late bloomer in many respects, so this was a time for me to, you know, indulge in the things that a lot of people already got in high school. But then at the same time, I'm on my own as an adult. I'm on the other side of the country where I don't know anybody. I didn't know anything about the place I moved to before I went there, basically. North Carolina, you're talking about? North Carolina, and I'll uh, and I'll get back to why I went back to North, why I went to North Carolina in just a second. But um, but you know, like after high school, um, and I didn't go to a four-year college. I was just in and out of uh, community college a bit. So that really shaped, you know, my shit, like being on my own for a lot of for a lot of the time and uh, having my own space. Okay, how and, old were you? How old were you when you went to college or when you went to North Carolina? Like from what age to what age? It was uh, so it was right after high school. It was uh, I was so I was eighteen. And I got back in 2015, right before, um, well, ah, excuse me, yeah, so I got back in 2015 when I was uh, uh, 25. Okay. So I've been back for um, over five and a half years now. For sure. And, um, and you know, and that was just another wave of, of, excuse me, that was another wave of development that was more critical and really thinking about, like, okay, why was, you know, why were things a certain way? Why was blah, 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 you know? Um, and the way that I ended up choosing, and I, and I, and I enjoyed my time, and there's still plenty of people that I know from there. I still have bonds with people. I still, I still have great memories of there. And um, it was just a chance for me to live on my own and to, you know, saying, try out the things that I never felt like I had the guts to do or had the know-how to do out in California. Mm-hmm. For whatever, you know, because, like I said, because I just grew up with this, disadvantage of not knowing how to socialize and uh not having a lot of of uh trying experiences i had a ton of good experiences but i didn't have enough shit that made me get you know give, give you some grit right mm-hmm. and uh in any case you know so i started you know becoming a uh 
So the reason I went to North Carolina in the first place is I was just very listless, didn't really have a lot going on in my life. My parents had gotten divorced, and that was fundamental in a, in a particular way, and I'll get to that. Um, Sorry, but uh, the reason I got to North Carolina was I was just kind of listless, and one of my teachers, she recognized that I didn't have a strong sense of direction, and she was just like, look, dude, you need to pick something, um, you know, whatever, you know, you need to pick, she was basically like, you need to pick something, so she gave me a book with all the different colleges in it and what their, you know, specialty is or whatever, and at the time, I thought I wanted to do journalism, um, or I wanted to do journalism, and I saw that NC, uh, excuse me, I saw that A&T University which is a very popular uh, historically black college. It's uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina. And, uh, and so from that one point of, of, of that one tangent of understanding was enough for me to be like, all right, that's where I'm going. And mind you, I would never even end up attending A&T University. I would only ever be on its campus, I think, two or three times. Hmm. You know, so it, was, so it wasn't about the school. It was just having that, that faint connection, <laughs> justification. How is I'm it not. that you? How is it that you went to that school without being on campus? No more no, than no, three never, times. No, no, I, no, no, I didn't go to the school. Oh, no, you didn't end up going. No, what I'm saying is that, like, I had and I had no interest in. I, 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 uh, um, I didn't really anticipate or prepare for like actually attending a university. It was, it was simply the fact that I knew it was a historically black college, and I was like, oh, then this must be a decent city for a black man to live. Oh, okay. So the, black man the, to the, live. sorry, the, sorry about the, that. No, no, you're good. So basically, the college just influenced you to go to the to the state in which that college was in, kind of thing. Yeah, in the city, in the city. Okay, the city. Okay. Yeah, and um, but uh, you know, otherwise, I had a good time. I feel like you know, yeah, I had a really good time. Made a lot of you know meaningful relationships, some of which are ongoing to this day. And uh, you know, as far as visiting, yeah, I would love to be back. I just haven't you know been back in the time that I've uh, since the time that I've left. So that's how I chose that. And then one more thing about like my childhood and whatnot that was influential is my parents' divorce, which happened when I was around 11, 12 years old, uh, because this really fundamentally changed the dynamic of how I looked at people. And then, of course, like my parents, because in a divorce, you know, it can make at least one of the parties get very cutthroat. And in this situation, it very much, it very much was that case. My mother was the very cutthroat person and my father was a... Uh, 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 you know, more more contemplative, more calm, and just trying to go along with stuff. Uh, basically, my mother was trying to get me and my three siblings to uh, make up a false make up false accusations that my father was uh, a sexual predator and had molested us. And being that I was the oldest and had the most of my own mind, you know, developed, um, I stood against this, and this completely changed the dynamic of the relationship between me and my mother um, until her passing in uh, uh, 2011 and whatnot. You know, Sorry about that, man. You know, it, you know, we all got to go, and it's unfortunate, but, um, um, you know, and there were plenty of times in which we communicated in between them, but it was just like, you know, things are never the same. It's like you tried to get me on board with this nonsense. And anyway, anyway the thing that it really showed me was, like, oh, shit, my parents are not just my parents. They're their own people, and they have all these other parts about them that have nothing to do with, you know, them just being my mommy and my daddy. You know, and this is, you know, fundamental because then you start looking at everybody else that way and start thinking about all the different, you know, sides, facets. Um, and then hopefully if you're reflective enough, you start looking at yourself in that way. And um, and so. Let me just sit up again. Um, so, yeah, so that kind of like summarizes like the big takeaways of stuff that was like 
helping to shape my mind and the and the things that I look for and the things that I consider because now you jump to the present and in these last several years I've really tried to you know develop as a I've always wanted to be an artist of some kind it used to be you know being a poet and then want to be a writer and then like maybe a songwriter and whatnot and um, you know uh, uh, now the longest running thing has been music and um, you know, and it's just like since I came back to Cali with all these new experiences and skills and just being like, okay, I can actually feel like I can take hold of the reins, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of I kind of grew up thinking that, you know, acknowledging that, yeah, it's a very there's a lot going on in in various parts around Los Angeles and different counties and stuff. And it's like, um, but it's not insurmountable. And if you have a little bit of of ability to to adapt to your surroundings and to take in different information from different sources, just soak up game, you know, essentially then it's not as daunting in in some respects. Yeah. You know. And so, you know, now we get to the last few years, these or last year, these last several years where um I've continued to develop my artistry as a musician. I've continued to develop the way that I communicate with people, you know, finding more fulfilling and enriching relationships and then also pushing myself to contribute more. Um, not just like waiting for inspiration or just waiting for when I'm in the mood to do shit. But, you know, sometimes just sending that text message or that voice message, just let people know you're on their mind or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Or just putting in that extra 15 to 20 minutes when you got nothing else to do to sit and work with your instrument or to, you know, set up a, um, uh, a you know, a meal plan or an exercise regimen or, you know, saying just to get together some notes, you know, for you to uh, study so that way you can develop, you know, whatever craft and mission you're working on. So, so ultimately, if I had to summarize my life, it's just been about, learning how to overcome, you know, my various shortcomings that were very much related to like introvertedness. So like leaning more into extrovertedness and then coming to grips with the complexity of how people are, how I am and understanding that there's a lot of um, gray where I used to think there was just black and white. Wow. Yeah, man, that's beautiful. And in a lot of ways I could relate to you and obviously we're both human beings. So, I think pretty much every human being suffers, right, in some shape or form. But in particular, I mean, my parents got divorced when I was a younger kid as well. Um, I feel like on a spectrum of introvert to extrovert, I think I would also maybe be leaning a bit more towards the introvert. And uh, I think that would be a good topic to kind of continue talking on because I think a lot of people... I think most of us kind of classify ourselves under introvert, extrovert. And then I feel like there's specific kind of characteristics that make up those kind of people, introvert, extrovert. But it's kind of interesting because I feel like me being someone who would go more towards introvert, I'm starting to find as I've pushed myself, kind of like you're saying, to be more social and kind of tackling my fears and things of that sort. I'm actually, I mean, I can be an extrovert, like a very much extrovert, but it just depends on the context of the situation, if that makes sense. No, absolutely, but, and that's the and that's the thing. Context is king, you know. That's kind of like the way I summarize it. Like the you know, like a, give you a quotable, is that context is king. Is that what is the situation? What is my mood like? Where is my level of experience? Who's around me? Mm-hmm. You know, all these things and so many more. Yeah, and the thing is, I think before I would kind of I don't I don't know if you had this experience, but you can tell me afterwards. But I feel like at certain points that was kind of like my excuse, like when I felt like. Like doing something, I was kind of like, oh, no, like I'm more introvert, so I'll just kind of, I'll just stay home or, you know, like, you know, I'm more introvert, so like I'll just avoid social media, like I don't need it, like, you know what I'm saying, like I'm more of a 
you know, I'd rather talk over the phone and just, you know, do direct messaging and stuff like that. And I, I come to found I come to find after experimentation and kind of pushing myself to be more social, not only in person, but, you know, through social media and and through the in- Internet that mm-hmm. I'm actually I'm actually a very social person. It's just mm-hmm. it was more so that I was afraid of judgment and I was afraid of and and this part I wouldn't have even I didn't even know about I wasn't aware about but I was so insecure and I was so unaware of who I actually was that I mm. didn't know how to communicate and have like um I was afraid to communicate because I didn't really know what my opinions were on certain things I didn't know where I stood about things but now that I've been investing a tremendous amount of time and energy and not so much it's not like a forceful thing it's just this is just my moment to to invest into myself and uh you know now i'm i'm commenting on people's stories i'm commenting on people's things like i see something i say you know what let me put my input on that you know Mm -hmm. i think this person's gonna i think this person's being kind of arrogant let me bring awareness to that you know like you know before i would have never done something like that because i said no i just want to avoid all the negativity i just want to avoid like causing any confrontation but it's like no i mean you know let's you know we bring up the whole thing about black lives matter like you got to voice yourself when when you believe there's an injustice or when you believe there's a bully or when you believe there's something negative out there and um and so yeah do you do you feel you kind of saying that you're also an introvert do you also kind of feel that vibe that what i'm trying yeah, to explain? Yeah, absolutely. It's a form of uh, self-sabotage. You know, you 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 only anticipate it's a, it's a case of like self-sabotage because, you know, you don't want to allow yourself to have a good time, you know, or you don't want to allow yourself to, you know, try something different and explore your boundaries and admit because then you'd have to admit that you are wrong, you know. Um, and then on the other side, it's also like catastrophic thinking. You're just always anticipating the worst. Like, oh, if I go out there and I dance and people don't like it, then they're going to mock me. And then, you know, like this wasn't as much a concern when I was a teenager, um, but you can get you know got at any time. It's like on social media, you know, so you can become a meme and live on in, uh, 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 forever in people's minds as a source of uh, of mockery. <clears throat> and so, you know, you just think about the worst case scenarios or the case of you having to acknowledge that you are wrong about something as an excuse to not go out and do stuff or to not take that chance. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, humi- you're gonna get humiliated. You're gonna fuck up. But you're not going to get anywhere without taking that leap. It's like, because if you, if you take the chance, you might fuck up and then have to go back to square one. But if you don't take any chances, then you're never going to be able to move past square one, period. No question, no, no you know, full stop. Mm. Um, and so just like you said, like with the introverted thing, it's, it's you know, we, we get, <clears throat> we do end up getting taught that, you know, oh, you fall under one category of behavior or because you've shown interest in, doing things a certain way or just, you know, engaging in certain activities or, you know, certain ideas that, okay, this is what you are and you're only that without explaining that, no, this is what you maybe lean into or what you've been conditioned to, to primarily, you know, concern yourself with. But then there's all these other elements. So like, you know, so actually like use some hard numbers. Let's say that like, if we took, if there was an actual test to really dissect this shit and it told you, oh, you're 75% uh, introvert and then 25% extrovert. You know, the extrovert comes out, you know what I'm saying, maybe in political discussions and political situations, or maybe it comes out when you see, you know, some, some type of social injustice, or maybe it comes out, um, I mean, maybe it comes out when you see, well, see <laughs> maybe it comes out over, uh, you know, debating what style of, of music and subculture you most identify with, you know. Um, I, I definitely belonged 
you know what I'm saying, in that category. Because I, um, uh, a lot of my identity at the time was tied in with the underground hip hop scene, as it was referred to. Um, you know, and that has its own value system and, 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 you know, cultural signifiers and whatnot. But the, but the point being that we are, we are each um, made of multitudes, you know, like there's the whole thing about like, people saying, oh, I don't like labels because I don't like being pigeonholed. The one thing it's like, first of all, saying that you have no label is a label, right? Is, is a label in it. Like the fact that you're not wearing a label is sending a signal. All of these things are about sending signals. The fact that you don't participate in something and then actively, you know, say that, that's a signal. The only way you're not sending a signal is if you don't say shit. Um, <laughs> or even it, that could be a signal, right? Well, excuse, actually, as a matter of fact, you're right. The only way to not say anything is to not even be within the realm. <laughs> exactly. It's to not even be there. And so, um, you know, but, but the way I try to look at it is like, no, I love labels. It's just that there's multiple ones. You know what I'm saying? And depending on the situation, depending on my mood, and depending on what I know, depending on who's around me, et cetera, you know what I'm saying? There's a different label that applies. You know, and it's not necessarily like, oh, me picking one out and saying, like, oh, I'm going to be this. It's just a matter of in life, you have to make choices. You have to zig or you have to zag. And based on the, and, and based on the, you know, how people summarize, like, oh, your actions and your mood and your energy you give off. That's a performance, and we grade that, and we say that, oh, this is this is what they were acting like, or this is somebody who's acting like a madman. Even if you don't think, even if you may know that person, you don't really think that they're you know crazy all the time. In that situation, that label was appropriate based on your perception of whatever performance they were given, no matter you know, regardless of of if their reaction in the situation was justified. Mm-hmm. You know, so but but yeah, to answer your question, yeah, there's a lot of you know self sabotage we do. There's a lot of um, people limiting themselves by saying, oh, I only wear one label or I don't wear one label. It's like, no, you wear multiple labels because you are of, of multitudes. You are legion. We are each legion. We are all made of multitudes within us. And the legion? Capacity, legion? Legion? What, what does that mean? Legion is a... Um, legion is... <laughs> he's, well, he's a X, it's an X-Men character, but what it comes from is the Bible. Because oh, okay. there's there's a situation in the Bible where uh, some de- you know some demons are causing some shit or whatever, and somebody comes through to save them, and so they drive the demons, and the demon identifies itself and says, "Oh, we are legion," as in, you know, we are multitudes, or there's you know there's a lot of us because the person who who talks to the demons casts them into um, sends them into some pigs that are nearby or whatever, and they and these pigs uh, kill themselves by uh, uh, like running either into like a cliff off a cliff or whatever, or running into, like, a body of water and drowning. Wow. But, but, yeah, the legion just means, like, multitudes. Okay. Uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's the, you know, allegory or whatever, the metaphor. But then, no, we are each made of multitudes, and we have the capacity to develop ourselves, uncover new things, develop old things, discard certain things, you know. Um, we have the capacity for all that, and I feel like a lot of people, we don't, we we get we don't get fed that we don't get taught that we get taught that no you have a particular lane that you fit in a particular title that you wear and to stray away from that is to you know jeopardize your life and earn scorn from and judgment from others yeah when in reality it's like why should i give a fuck if i get judgment or not you know exactly um well i was gonna say what what's like a particular like scenario in your life that that you've kind of had to like that maybe you've caught yourself following like a specific label and like you having to kind of change that or does, any, does anything come to mind oh plenty of things come to mind but but well, one thing 
And one thing that I've definitely evolved on is the LGBT issue. Mm. Um, you know, I was never anti-LGBT, but I held some very antiquated views about homosexuality and transgenderism uh, and whatnot. And, and, you know, through education and through listening to people's testimonies and being more receptive to the idea that I don't know everything and that uh, I may be wrong and that other people's experiences will vary, um, that that people's that every <laughs> that people's uh, experiences inherently vary. So like yeah, there was definitely a time when um, I would act repulsed at the sight of seeing uh, uh, two gay people, primarily men. You know, I, I will say that I definitely fell under that stereotype of not being grossed out as much by seeing two girls kiss um, as opposed to two guys kiss. You know, um, but in any case, you know, having that understanding or something, or thing is even more serious shit that some people still hold, even though they say they're accepting of LGBT people in theory, in practice, they don't believe that, oh, they should be able to raise kids, that that should only be done by um, either single parents for some reason or, or a man or a man and woman uh, two-parent household, um, you know, which is not to even speak on the quality of the parents raising them, just the fact that, oh, no, just keep them away from the queers. So and, what, was, uh, what, what was your mindset when you kind of were repulsive against LBGT and then... What, so what was your mindset when you did when you were repulsive, and then what was the perspective which kind of shifted your your thought process on it? So part of it was just not having anybody around to actually talk about it, like not experience, like just not knowing anybody. Okay. So there's, so there's, you know, so there's one thing. It was just like, you know, if the only if the only source of information you're getting is from people who are speaking negatively about a group, and there's nobody else around that usually checks them or they greatly out or they greatly outnumber the people who are criticizing them, then what are you going to believe as a child, as a teenager, who yourself doesn't have any you know, life experiences and, and is unsure about yourself? And so, so part of it was just not knowing people. Another part of it was religion. And, you know, I feel like now I've, you know, I don't, I consider myself a, um, a secular humanist. It's probably the best way to describe my spiritual beliefs at this point. Uh, but there was a time when I considered myself um, you know, I get one of the Protestant, you know, some type of Protestant, you know, Christian faith or whatever. And then obviously there's uh, 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 negative, you know, saying connotations, decrees about about homosexuality, um, even though in the New Testament, which is what, you know, Christians are supposed to observe. Jesus doesn't mention it. He, he explicitly just talks about welcoming everybody. You know, he doesn't say gay people by name, but it's implied that like, oh, if he's going to accept prostitutes and accept like lepers and accept, you know, all these other people, then why wouldn't they accept uh, gay people as well, you know? mm. and that's why you and that's why you have certain and that's why you have certain denominations. Like, I don't want to. I, I don't know exactly which ones. I think Presbyterian is one of them, but they're one of the like denominations of of Protestantism, Christianity that um, has come around on the LGBT issue as well. Although I don't know. I think the I think the stuff that I was taking from was more like prosperity gospel, and then certain um, of black. Of, of excuse me of black uh, Christianity, which when I say black Christianity, it's um, tends to be a little more hardline. I would say they're still very much anti-LGBT, even though the prevalence of LGBT people is 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 you know expansive within there, especially the gospel music scene, um, and just other creatives and whatnot, <laughs> as it just happens, and. Um, but in any case, so like, so like, you know, I just thought as, as, as you know, you start peeling back the layers of religion and whatnot as you gain new experiences, 
you gain more education. Um, you know, so you hear different stories. Of course, you know, media also plays a role. There was different, like, there was different, like, um, uh, uh, you know, social media was starting to become a thing. And so people were just having more of these conversations and engagements that were not happening anywhere else. You know, um, even on older, like seemingly transgressive platforms like a MTV or uh, some of the earlier chat room sites and whatnot that, you know, helped develop, <clears throat> excuse me, the stuff that we have now. But um, uh, it was just a glimmer in, in someone's eyes. But, but as far as, you know, like, coming, you know, once again, like you start peeling back the layers of religion, questioning things like, oh, you know, why is this thing interpreted this way here? Why is this thing written over here? Why do certain interpretations completely keep out stuff like the, uh, the, Dead, the Dead Sea Scrolls or different, you know, same practices? Why are there so many different denominations if there's one sole truth at the end of, you know, well, you just start asking those real critical questions and uh, just start peeling back the layers. So it's not just one thing or one situation or one element. It's multiple things that coalesced that just kind of hit a, 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 a boiling point where I just decided, no, I can have a strong set of values and morals and secular justifications for everything that that I felt was exclusive to the Bible without all the negative shit, especially the fact that the person who's responsible in the Bible for the most amount of wanton violence and death and destruction and pain is the creator itself, which makes me think, which doesn't make me think that like, oh, God is real and it's malevolent as it is benevolent. It just seems to be like, oh, no, this is a human being projecting human characteristics and moods onto a figure that has omnipotent power. Omnipotent? Um, uh, omnipotent, which just means... Infinite, which just right? means, uh, Well, not so much infinite, infinite. It means more like all-encompassing. Oh, yeah, that's right. Omnipotent, yeah, omnipotent is really, or they have omnipotent you know, knowledge. Like, they know everybody's thoughts even before they happen, you know, shit like that. Um, you know, so you just start peeling back, you know, layers and layers and layers of your belief of the belief system you have, and you know, for some people that creates a huge crisis. But for me, it was an awakening because it allowed me to see, like, oh shit, I can put together. I can. This is a DIY project. My mold code is a is a is a DIY project. I can put this together myself. I don't have to just take the fucking manual that was given to me. I don't have to just wear the fucking suit, you know, saying that that I was uh, uh, given to wear. You know, and it's good. And I will say this: it is good to know how to groom yourself to fit into different situations because you know every ecosystem is different, and you you know you should have a certain level of comfort in being able to navigate navigate different situations and communicate with different people to a degree. Um, but then it's also good to have that part of yourself that breaks away and says, "Yeah, I'm only going to wear the suit three days a week, and only in these situations. All right, the rest of the time, fuck off." Mm. And yeah. when you say wear, wear the suit, mm -hmm. what exactly do you mean? Like you're saying to pretend to be something or what do you mean? Well, see, here's the thing. So like I, I, so I said earlier about how when we gauge people's performance, um, you know, the summary of everything. And when I say performance, I don't mean artificial or fake or forced. What I mean is that we all have the capacity to, you know, use profanity or not use profanity in, in communicating, right? And depending on the situation for many people, you're not going to use the same level of profanity or coarseness around, say, your grandparents as you would, you know, saying, even with your, like, you know, your cousins who are the same age as you, you know, saying, and they're younger, or with your coworkers versus, you know, your drinking buddies or people you just hang out with for recreational activities and stuff. So it's mm -hmm. not so much like, oh, you being something that you're not, it's just realizing that, okay, maybe in this situation, you don't need to show the full 
hundred percent of what you are. Um, and, and of course, you know, I think there's a thing like, you know, for many people, especially when you're younger, you think that not keeping everything 100 all the time, you feel like that's a betrayal of who and what you are. When, when really people aren't even keeping it 100 when they interact with you. That's a facade. We, we all like to think that, we all like to think that, oh, everything would just be better if people could just keep everything a buck with us to just keep everything 100% honest. But it's like, no, sometimes you have to be passive because people, we are emotional creatures. We don't always um, do the most rational thing when we hear true information. And, um, you know, so when I say, so when I say like wear the suit, I mean going along with whatever social contracts or whatever demands are being made of the situation. Because even in this analogy, wearing the suit could mean just learning how to get along with gang members, you know, saying just chilling out with them on the block. Not, you know, not, not trying to be a part of the shit, but just like, you know, finding a way, a means of like engaging with these, you know, with these individuals um, in a way that just, you know, keeps things moving forward. Um, yeah. and, so some, and, and, so sometimes, and so sometimes that means just dialing back some of the criticisms you may have about, you know, you know, about whatever. Yeah, man, the, the big, the big thing that I took away from that, and I love everything mm -hmm. that you said, and to kind of simplify everything you said, I always like to try to find like this, the most simple kind of answer mm -hmm. is like, I think the change in suits or the different because you said, like, in depending on the context, you might use profanity or you might not. You know, if you're your grandparents, you know, at the bar or let's say with, like, you know, police officials or something. I think it's not so much like that you're being dishonest. It's just a level of emotion that you're not going to express. Because if you think about it, when you do curse, when you are using profanity, which not everybody does, but, you know, a lot of us do. Like, that's usually a high level of emotional expression. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe yeah. not even in a negative way. It could be saying, fuck you, blah, blah, blah. Or it could just be like, ah, fucking A, you're stupid. Like, like, you know, just hanging out with yeah. friends. And mm -hmm. I think it's um, like you said, we're creatures and we have emotion and we don't have an, an infinite capacity for emotion, you know, because mm -hmm. emotion is a is a form of energy. You know, the same way that we can, I could sit here and I could, you know, pick up some weights and stuff. You know, emotion is kind of the, in my opinion, emotion is kind of the, the fuel for our spirit or the fuel for us to get shit done. Mm -hmm. If there's no, if there's no emotion behind you trying to accomplish something, you're going to be going maybe like, like 10 miles per hour. But the more emotion you kind of add to it. Then it, it, you obviously you expend a bit more energy, but there's a lot more, you know, maybe a lot more precision. There's a lot more, um, you know, you're a lot more um, direct, maybe, or you're a lot more, you're just expending more energy. So mm -hmm. in reality, if you think of yourself as an energy source, you obviously can't be expending like 80 percent. You know, you can't be at 80 to 100 percent capacity all day long. Yes. I can't be. I can't be emotional about every little thing I do. Right. Yes. Yes. You yes, have to exactly. you, you have to fit the context of the situation. And for instance, right, because the, th I, I, the things that I talk about, I apply them all the time. So right now, mm -hmm. this is a perfect example. When we started this podcast, I was tired emotionally mm -hmm. and physically. I'm tired. You know, it's been a long day. Mm -hmm. And in order for me to kind of channel my energy and to kind of regain my energy, I decided to I wanted to ask you a lot of questions and I wanted to listen yeah. to you, listen to you, listen to you. And kind of slowly but surely throughout the podcast, I've been cultivating my energy back to myself. 
Yeah, that's you know, because there's something about you can recharge your energy too. Mm-hmm. You know, me, yeah. me just me just listening to you, it kind of inspire it, it inspires me, and I gain perspective, and it kind of really just allows me to relax, and it kind of recharges my batteries in a way. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we and the thing is, we are you know, like that's the thing about the you know about relationships and relationships and whatnot, and and realizing how many levels there are. You know what I'm saying to it and how it flexes. Because like you said, sometimes you just want to hit somebody up, you know, to listen to them. And then as they start feeding you this stuff, then you start going, oh, shit, this is clicking. This is also like, you know, like, oh, wow, okay, now I can express this thought that maybe I couldn't express in these other situations. Um, you know, and this is the thing. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a process of uncovering, you know what I'm saying, uncovering parts about yourself, uncovering parts about one another. And then we feed off of that. That is a source of of energy, you know, saying so no matter what terms you, you know, you use, because I'm not a, uh, like I said, I'm not a, um, I don't necessarily believe in like the spirit, but when you talk about like, oh, what gives me, the term I use is momentum or, you know, drive, like what keeps me, you know, saying going. And part of it is these conversations. And then also another big part of it isn't just being able to have back and forth. Sometimes I enjoy dominating. Sometimes I enjoy being the person who's, you know, really uh, uh, at the center of attention you know, which seems to contradict the thing I was saying about introvertedness, but that was something I had to uncover about myself. That, oh shit, I really do enjoy being the center of attention in some scenarios. I just needed to develop myself to the point where when I was the center of attention, it was actually productive. And there were, and there were people, not just myself being proud of myself, having a big head, but other people saying like, hey, I really actually enjoyed listening to you. And, and then oftentimes, you know, the reason, you know, and oftentimes I'm human, I get tired too, and I want, and I feed off of other people. I'm always absorbing information and, and trying to optimize my way of thinking and behavior. So then I love also being able to like pass it off and have somebody else, you know what I'm saying, uh, uh, be at the center, you know, but it's being able to, it was coming to the, you know, it, yeah, yeah. So yeah, man, I, I, uh, uh, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad I could play that role. Yeah, brother. Um, <laughs> it's just, um, Yes, in my opinion, it's kind of like channeling your flow, you know, and and the mm-hmm. thing is, like, for instance, like with the so you you're the third podcast that I've done like via Zoom or via the Internet. Right. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt there was one week where I did about five podcasts Four of them were for this podcast. And then one of them was for another podcast. But that whole yeah. like week, I kind of had felt like every podcast I had done, it was just me kind of like I had so much on my mind, you know, I had so yeah. much energy, so much on my mind. And I, you know, like I, I don't I never did the statistics, but if I had to take a guess, I'd say definitely I was talking more than 50 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I kind of became aware of that, like I become aware, like, man, like I feel like I'm talking a lot more than my guests were talking, you know, mm-hmm. and um it kind of it kind of brought me it kind of woke me up to the idea that I don't know it's just it's like one art form is being able to like to speak your own voice but then another far, art form is to actually like be able to listen and then yes. ask questions like yes. it's two different art forms and you like I think it's really important to actually master both because mm-hmm. if you're only good at talking 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 and you want to hang out with a friend and you just want to talk 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 you know they have certain emotional needs as well Mm-hmm. You know, and, and whether they're too shy to, to tell you about it, everybody needs someone to hear them out. Like everybody needs it. Everybody needs someone to say, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? You mm-hmm. know, 
and otherwise you know you develop a relationship where it's just like one like it's just one direction yes and um yeah i don't know i just wanted to make that point <laughs> no i mean absolutely because the thing i think this is really relevant to the situation with the pandemic and even beforehand because you know i'm somebody who's always kept a fairly tight circle and you know i, I mean the thing is i continue to make friends throughout every stage of my life but um you know, but then also you lose people. And part of the reason why you lose people is you start to, once again, uncover different parts of themselves or come to certain revelations like, hey, I've been hanging out with this person for like six months and, you know, I'll hit them up to check up on them or just call them randomly just to see how they're doing or just, you know, be like, hey, I was thinking about you or whatever, just, you know, and then they only hit me up, you know, like they'll hit me up for like to come to an event or whatever. Um, but sometimes it's only events that they're hosting or that they're participating in and shit. You know, obviously, they, you know, give my support or they only hit you up when they need a ride or when they low on trees or whatever. You know, just that just that general shit. It's just like, and it's just like, look, I, it, it's it's just like, you know, or sometimes, you know, you hit somebody up and, you, and they uh, you, you give them a thought out message, a thoughtful message, and they just respond with something quippy and real quick and just inconsiderate, just like, oh, you know, yeah, I'm good. Everything's all right. Thanks for asking, you know, whatever. And it's just like, all right, whatever. It's 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 um it's like I've it's like you don't want to burn bridges. And and the mentality I'm trying to take is that like trying to express is that you know you're gonna find that you come to ten you come across the bridge more often than the other party, and you have to decide for yourself if it is worth it. If you are giving say let's say that you know you're giving sixty percent you know say an energy to to a relationship right any type of relationship. For, you know, friend, you know, romantic, platonic, um, business, professional, and you're saying, damn, I'm putting in 60%, but I feel like, you know, I should be really only putting in like 45%, you know, saying given the, you know, situation or whatever the fuck. And let's just say you want to get it to 50, let's just use 50-50 as the barometer, right? And let's say you want to get it down to 50-50. Now, of course, there's several ways you can do this. You can bring it up directly to the person and see how they respond. And it's usually gonna, and it's gonna go one of three ways. Either they are going to um, continue on contributing the level that they were at, they're gonna increase their level of contributions, or it's gonna decrease. Those are the only three options. And you have to decide what you are going to tolerate, what you want to tolerate. And of course, this can change over time, but you need to be asking yourself that, uh, you know, regularly with any relationship. How much? How much longer do I want to continue to contribute this much? And just like with this pandemic and shit, I just noticed that it's just really exposed some people even more. That like, oh, when there's not, you know, certain things going on and shit, then you're not hitting me up at all. You know, you're not checking up on me. Um, the phone's been dry the last three or four times. I can look through like the messages and see like, oh, it was just me hitting you up, giving a fuck, and uh, you just completely fell off. So. It's, it's like, okay, whatever, I'm not going to, you know, I'm trying to, now that I'm older and shit and realize that, like, life changes and sometimes, you know, people will come to the grips with the fact that they were being assholes or inconsiderate. I'm just like, I try not to get in the mode where I'm just, like, start blocking people or, or being like, oh, I'm going to burn this bridge, but I am going to come tend to it less often. You are going to what? I'm going to come tend to it less often. Less often. You said like, content. So what do you mean by that? No, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, um... I'm gonna come to it less often. The bridge. Oh, okay. So analogy, you're, you're, you're gonna go less to that person. Or right. In other exactly. words, you're gonna invest less. Invest, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, instead, the, of burning, instead of burning that bridge, just invest less into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is a really good, like, the conversation we're having right now about relationships. I think it's really important. Hopefully, the listeners get a lot of value because I think it's something that we could all, everybody can relate to it. You know, everybody's had a friend. Everybody's had a parent. Everybody's had, you know, people who have been in relationships. Like, and I, in all, I, you know, you hear from everybody, oh, like, I would wish, like, your aunt would call me more often, you know, maybe something my mm. mom would tell me. Or I wish, yeah. uh, I wish you're, you know, even if it's between mom and son, like oh, I wish, blah blah blah, I would call you. I wish you would call me more. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's the thing that I'm coming to realize because, as I've said in this podcast and really in my personal life, you know, I, I, I had a day last year where I decided that every single day I was gonna prioritize the idea that I want to be happy. You know, mm-hmm. I, uh, I didn't feel like I was happy. Like I mean, I was, I was good. You know, I was good, but I wasn't happy happy like i knew my life wasn't fulfilled yeah um and so ever since then i I started using my emotions as a metric like i I would Mm. use my emotions as as like the number one metric to to kind of guide and facilitate me right yes and um but back then and like i said this was like in late november that i kind of wrote this down and decided it back then my emotions were very easily controlled by other people Mm. If uh, someone didn't respond, if someone responded in a certain way and I would take it personal, you know, mm-hmm. oh, like kind of like what the thing you just said, you respond with like a nice, long, thoughtful message and then you get a short message back and that mm-hmm. shit would trick, like it would make my emotions feel a certain type of way. So in essence, I didn't have control of my own emotions. It was like every, like everybody else can control it. Of course, mm-hmm. there was, you know, I had a certain degree of resilience. I'm not saying that every little thing like, you know, would throw my emotions all over the place. Yeah. But I didn't have control of my emotions, right? And I think ultimately, in a lot of ways, that's that's kind of like the one thing we have control of. We have control <clears throat> of our emotions. We don't have control. I can't control the way you feel. I can't control, you know, like a lot of external things. But I, I do, in a sense, have control of my emotions. To a degree. Um, to a degree. Because, you know, the thing yeah. is, you know, because the thing is, like, at the end of the day, like, we feel the reason why we have emotional reactions to shit is because value is subjective and we all value different things to different degrees. And so when we are offering something that we think is representative of, of being high value um, or being a very you know, good part of ourselves, a very valuable part of ourselves, and it gets rejected, it's like, it's a, yeah, you, you know, in theory, we should be able to control our emotions. But at the same time, it's like, it's like if you don't respond over stuff that you think is of value, it, it basically it's just like every situation is different. Yeah. And the reason I get to the point that I'm at now where, and I use the term control, but I, I'm starting to find that that's not really the appropriate like term to use because it's a very indirect form of control. When I say control, I mean acceptance. When I say control, I mean let go. When I say control, I mean like a gentle push. Like when I say control, it's uh, it's quite opposite, I guess, of what you would think of control. I guess a better term would be like I have more of a, a flow of my emotion. Like if I'm starting to flow in one direction, I can kind of gently push it in another. If I'm starting to go in another direction, I, I, I've learned certain thera- therapeutic um, disciplines in order to bring me back to homeostasis. Right. So I'm not saying that, you know, like, you know, when I think of my mom, I'm having I'm I have an emotion. You know, I don't just think of the term mom and think, 
oh the you know the 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 caregiver to a human being like you know i envision i visualize my mom and i have all the emotions that that correlate to that so i'm not saying like you know you're emotionless what i try to say is the fact that when you become more acquainted with yourself and when you are less afraid of judgment when you are less insecure and when you when you give out a lot of love so then in essence most times you get love back then you are a lot less sensitive to to kind of interactions with people if that makes sense can you hear me yeah yeah i can hear you can you hear me i can hear you now okay all All right so um just to finish my point um it's a it's kind of a hard thing to describe but um in essence like i said i've just developed certain mechanisms in which i could kind of bring myself to to homeostasis and uh external things have much less influence on my emotions let's just let's just let's just keep it simple that's that's what it is yeah no no absolutely you you um no that that is a much better um um, yeah, because when I was thinking of control, I was just thinking, you know, I was thinking like, no, if I'm in a, you know, oh, no, I recognize that I'm angry, but I'm going to make myself happy. It's like, yeah, it's like not, not quite. But no, but I hear what you're saying that like, oh, if you're caught up in another situation where you feel like, oh, I gave this person a message, a really thoughtful message, and they returned with nothing, you know, or just something that was really cross or whatever, instead of recognizing the fact that, oh, I wish I would have got a different reaction, but... I also know that so-and-so is really, you know, they're still having to work or they're stressed out. They got this and that going on in their life. Or, you know what, there's some other things that I should be pouring my time into. I've been letting other stuff kind of slip and I need to be trying to improve the value on that. Um, You know, or or, or just different analogies, you know, learning to accept the fact that, yeah, this is the way that I feel. It's not the best feeling. But you know what, that doesn't mean I have to wallow in it. That That doesn't mean I have to wallow in it. That doesn't mean I did something wrong to feel this way or that the other person is even in the wrong. It's just recognizing that, oh, okay, this is the way that I feel. This is how I respond to that. And, you know, saying I can just decide that, you know, when that happens, oh, I can just either go for a walk or I can try to talk with somebody else or I can, you know, engage myself in an activity I've been putting off for a while or just, you know. Yeah, and if yeah. you if you if you're strong enough, if you're secure enough, all you do is you just see that as feedback. Oh, you know what? Mm-hmm. I give this yeah. kind of message and this person responds in this way. There's a Either that's just the personality of this person, right? Mm-hmm. Because you you can't assume that based off the way someone texts you back is it really implies too much because it's it's ambiguous kind of you know what I'm saying? Like I don't know, I read a book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck and it was saying that it was an it was an example that the author used between the relationship of him and his brother. He was mm-hmm. saying like you know the fact that my brother doesn't call me and the fact that my brother doesn't text me as often as I would hope. It's not necessarily an appropriate metric to determine our relationship because maybe that's just him. Maybe he's not a texter. Maybe he's not a guy who, like, cares to talk on the phone. Just because you want something from someone and they can't give it to you doesn't necessarily make them a bad person. And it doesn't necessarily mean that your relationship is bad, per se, but it Mm -hmm. just might mean that your metric for um, your expectations are one way and these people do not relate to that. Right. And especially in a in a place where, let's say it's a family member and you kind of have this like connection, like, you know, you kind of have to you kind of have to be open minded enough and and not say like, oh, you know what? Me and my brother's relationship is terrible because he doesn't call me as many times as I would hope to. And he doesn't text me back with the emojis that I would like to get back. 
<laughs> right. You know, right. and in other in other aspects, if it's like a, a relationship, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend or whatever, yeah, that's totally fine. It, you know, if they're not giving you what you would like, then at that point, then you just, you know, it's a, it's an indication that this isn't this isn't the person for you. Right. I think that, you know, I think the I think the point that we're trying to strike on is, you know, every every. Uh, yeah, I guess the point you're trying to strike on is that, you know, it's it, again, every situation is is context is different because, you know, for somebody that you've already known for 20 plus years, you know, and has seen you at your most vulnerable moments and, and vice versa, you're not as concerned. Like you can hit each other up just once every few months, you know what I'm saying, for, for convo or whatever, as long as you get as long as that's, you know, kind of understood. Like I have friends who I've known for a long time. And so it's like, of course, we're not going to be hitting each other up like multiple times per week. Um we'll hit each other up once, you know what I'm saying, every once in a while so that way there's a buildup of new shit because we already know so much about one each other, one another's way of thinking and all that shit. But then you're talking about a situation where whether it's romantic or business or, or, or something, you know, real high stakes require a lot of investment on both, on, from all parties involved. And it's like, look, you know, this is part of the risk of getting engaged into, and getting into this type of relationship. And it's just like, you know, this type of uh, uh, level of engagement with, a, with another person. And so it's, it's okay if you're at a place where you're like, hey, I don't enjoy having the message or excuse me, having the return emails and shit, you know, 20, you know, five times per day or having to respond to, you know, certain kinds of calls certain times a day. Then it's just like, you know what, that's fine. Continue to be yourself and, and live the life that you want. But then that means you probably aren't uh, ready then for the stage of doing this other shit because, we need people that are a little bit more um, willing to jump in the game head on, you know, um, just like, you know, just, yeah. Um, you know, and as a matter of fact, to use an example, uh, again, of some friends who I've known for a long time. And so it's been understood that, like, we won't hit each other up too often. Yo, yo, can you hear me? No, no I can hear you. Okay. Um, to use another example, I have some friends that I've known for almost 20 years now. And, you know, so it's understood that we're not going to be hitting each other up multiple times per week or, multi, you know, stuff like that. But we'll still hit each other up, you know, saying on shit and, and follow each other's social media. But what I've begun, what I started to notice, and this is something that they've even admitted to and acknowledged that it's not just like with me, but with other people. Oh, we're shitty about returning messages. We're shitty about, you know, saying doing this and that and stuff. And it's like, OK, but at the same time, one of the last conversations that we had was 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 you asking me getting suggestions on how to better market your your art and better market, you know, some of the things you're doing and asking for, like, business plans and shit. And so I give you a fucking list. I give you a list of things that I think, you know, that I'm trying to incorporate in, in the mindset I have, and I'm looking for feedback when you explicitly ask for some, and they never get and they didn't give any. And so then, and then, and then you know, and then, you know, and then these same individuals will... You know, they'll, they'll, they'll engage with you on your social media and stuff until you ask them, like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Or did you see my last text message? Or did you hear my, you know, I left a voicemail, blah, blah, blah. Then it's just like radio silence. You know, and the thing is with all these apps, these apps be snitching on people. So it's just like you can see that they're still online or that they're still doing this and that activity. So it's like, oh, so you can just come in and just like my shit and be like, oh, you know, this is cool or whatever. You can't even like this person that you're supposed to have like an intimate, you know, connection with. That, that long-standing relationship with, you can't even just be like, hey, now's not a good time, or I'll hit you up later, blah, 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 blah. You know? So it's like, there's a fine line where I'm like, because initially I'm like, oh, man, am I being overbearing? Am I being, you know, demanding too much? Am I being too needy? But then once I hear from them, 
that they're like, oh, no, it's not just you. We're doing this to everybody. So it's like, okay, well, then y'all need to be a little bit more considerate and be like, okay, if you just being yourself right now means not answering a bunch of text messages, but then also having these bonds and these relationships deteriorate, then the question that is posed to you then is, are you okay with that? Are you okay with these people who you've known for so long suddenly gravitating and giving all of their value, whether it's just value and feedback, whether it's just value in actual resources, whether it's just value as, as an extension of your network? Are you willing to compromise that just because you don't want to be inconvenienced by having to answer a few extra text messages or, or voicemails? You know? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I get frustrated, you know, there's a com- you know, in this in this in the United States. Um, you know, our, our hyper individualized culture. It's very much about the individual and, and and one of the things about that that comes from that is just be yourself. Just do what you want. Do whatever just makes you feel happy in that moment, right? Like do whatever just makes you happen to feel good because you should never have to feel bad, you know, or be inconvenienced or anything that or anything that makes you feel uh, like you're not, you can't be yourself, that, that should be demonized. When it's like, no, sometimes what you are at that moment and what you're trying to do is inadequate. If you're trying to run a marathon and somebody's, tell, and somebody's asking you, like, oh, how's your conditioning been? How's your diet been? How's your sleep been? And you've been like, oh, I didn't give a fuck. I'm still doing the same old things. And they tell you that that's, not a, that's a recipe for disaster. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and you know, you just fire back, oh, whatever the fuck, let me do whatever I want. It's like, no, there's, there's objective maintenance that goes on to keeping, you know, your body and your mind ready for like physical activity. But the same thing goes for relationships. Relationships demand maintenance <laughs> and investment, you know. And a lot of people don't want to hear that because it makes it feel like, oh, I have to extend myself, you know, when I don't want to for for you know people in my life. Yes. How do you think you have a family? How do you think you develop that bond that you have with your parents or your aunts and your uncles or the, anybody you know whoever's taking care of you? That's what it was. You, you, you have this bond with these people um, that is essentially just a one-way relationship where all the benefits have mostly flowed downstream. You know, and yet you're not willing, and yet you're not able to contextualize that and say, oh, maybe in my other relationships that aren't family in order to develop these long-standing bonds, I have to have that same willingness to extend myself to within reason to certain boundaries or whatever. Um, for this other person, you know? And of course, reciprocation is a big part of that, but you at least have to be, you, you, in order to even make that argument or to say, hey, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for some reciprocation, you have to show that you're willing to meet the person halfway. And if you're already meeting the person halfway or doing what you think you're supposed to do, and they not, you know, then, then you know, that's when you need to start questioning how often you tread over to that bridge, how much you go over to that bridge, you know? Yeah, and that... <clears throat> It's kind of interesting. I'm gonna be very frank right now. Like, it's interesting the way that you're kind of elaborating the whole situation, and then kind of in the back of my head, like, like, and that's the thing. Like, everyone's brain brains work different, right? So I'm not. Hey, just give me a sec. So like, I'm not. You know, it's interesting that our minds work differently, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I could see kind of like your brain works in a very. It seems like in a more meticulous way, or I'm not really sure. Like, think, I'm not really yeah, sure. That, meticulous. That's a that's a that's a fine way to put it. Yeah, and then for me, because my whole, like, this whole year I've been kind of training myself to, and this would be like the third or fourth time I say it, just kind of bring it down to the most fundamental ideas or principles. Mm -hmm. And I've gone to the point where I've boiled things to, like, a feeling. And, Mm -hmm. um, And because I just constantly tackle my fears, 
I, I gain more and more security or strength within myself. And the things that I, I hope to become, I've started to communicate with my subconscious to become that thing, which mm. is, you know, I, I've been telling myself I am compassionate. I am kind. Um, I am strong. I am this. But the thing is, when I say that, it's not it's not it's in a very alpha meditative state. It's kind of hard to explain, but if I were to tell myself I am compassionate and I was telling that out loud to like a group of people, like that would be a little strange. But when I do <laughs> these things, it's it's right here in my room by myself and it's in a very meditative space. And I don't. Yeah, but that's just kind of one point I'm trying to say is that um, I'm starting to realize that. You know, like because right now, the, the things that you explained to me, it's a lot of. There's a lot of thinking involved, right? Yeah. That's just yeah. the way you're explaining it. But for yeah, me... Very, I'm very analytical. I'm very analytical. Yeah, exactly. And and maybe for some people that works. But for me, what I found... Because I used to be pretty analytical about a lot of shit too. But then I broke it down. I'm like, no, like, don't think. Just feel that shit. Like, mm. you know what? Like, I don't, I don't get a good vibe from this person. I don't feel like messaging this person. I message that person... And I didn't get, you know, I don't feel like it's equal or whatever. I don't feel like responding them to them anymore. I'm not going to be concerned about, oh, I wonder what they're doing. I wonder uh, maybe they're talking to someone else. Maybe they've forgotten about me. You know, fuck all those thinking. You know, fuck all that thinking. Like, that's just going to diminish my energy. It's going to take my mind anywhere from the, it's going to take me away from the present. I don't feel like investing more. So I'm just going to stop that and i'm gonna go back to me and invest into the people where i do have fluidity let me call up my mom yes. let me call up my brother let me call up my homie who just hit me up the other day on instagram and see how he's doing like it's yeah. just like it's just channeling your energy and, and your feelings where they want to go and when something yeah. doesn't feel good and if that if that continues to cycle in your mind like fuck like it really kind of pisses me off that this person yeah. didn't reply then you know what, instead of getting so crazy in the thoughts or just uh, going in this like infinite loop, let me just journal myself. Why is it that I care if this person doesn't respond? Is it because I'm insecure about something about myself? Is it because I feel like they might think like um, I'm this, this, this way? Oh, wait, mm -hmm. well, if I'm worried about their judgment and if I'm worried about, you know, them possibly being with somebody else, then mm -hmm. that means I'm that's an insecurity about me. So it's like yeah. I've, I've almost found it that in almost every situation, it's always an insecurity about yourself. And then because I've constantly just gone into my journal, I've noted it down. I've questioned myself. Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel bad about this person not responding? And then it always comes down to the idea that like it's an insecurity because if it wasn't an insecurity, then why would you continuously feel bad about the situation? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I do. I hear that. And the thing is, is that like I do like your post that you made a post not too long ago talking about this. Um, and some people will think that it's reminiscent of like, oh, uh, the secret or that, oh, your thoughts manifest reality. It's like not exactly. But we are. Like, you use the term fluidity and, you know, there's different names for it or porous or, you know, um, um, being able to adapt or just, you know, being flexible. Bruce Lee said be water. Yep. You know, um, you know, like you said, channeling that flow. And like, yeah, I am a person that's very analytical. Sometimes I'm over analytical and it does lead to those spirals where I'm just like, oh shit, I just blew, you know, saying a couple of hours, really just like stewing in my own emotions, you know, saying, just thinking about like, oh, did I do this? Don't when it's just like at the end of the day, like, like you don't have to have any malice in your heart. Just be like, you know what? That left a really negative taste in my mouth. And I'm just, I need to go do something to keep myself from doing that because 
I very much used to be, because, and I'll tell you why, why I feel like I'm this way, uh, where I'm so analytical about this shit, is that for a long time, I think, I guess it was kind of the opposite, was because I didn't have a lot of experience and understanding of things, to be analytical, I was very emotional. And, but then after a while, I started getting embarrassed by people whom were, they were emotional, but they also had their analytical side developed enough to where they were still able to like counter my emotions or like leave my emotions a certain way. So then I was, so then I started focusing more on that shit. Um, you know, and things I've done meditation, I've done like journaling and stuff like that. And I might need to get back into it because um, I do find myself that, that, like you said, insecurity. And it's like, I don't, you know, I think that's, you know, not every case, but I think that definitely in some cases it can come down to, I want this person to understand this about me. And I want this person to respond in this way because that will affirm that I am this thing and that they recognize me as this thing. Instead if of just one, knowing that you are this thing and you don't need to prove it to anybody kind of thing. Ex exactly. So you're absolutely right in that, that in, in, in many instances, um, a lot of this shit can just be boiled down to a feeling of insecureness and a feeling of wanting to be affirmed, which, you know, once again, there's nothing wrong with that desire, but you got to keep all of these things in check and realize where, when that... When that desire for recognition or when that FOMO, that fear of missing out, starts to become destructive and keep you from doing the things that made you the thing that you thought made you valuable in the first place. Like you want somebody to recognize you for, um, you know, an essay you wrote or whatever, and you send it to them and then you spend so much more time afterwards thinking about why they haven't gotten you back or what they're going to critique as opposed to you continuing to look over the essay yourself or moving on to your next project or just doing other shit, you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, just kind of letting the response come when it comes, you know? Um, you know, so, so once again, it's very, you know, the situations where it's like, yeah, the person could just be, it could be the other person's fault, but whether or not it is the other person's fault or your fault or just, you know, whatever the fuck, it's embracing that emotion that like, okay, this makes you feel a certain way. It's not a good feeling, but, no matter if it's justified or not, I can't just let myself get stuck in a loop of, of constantly just revving these same emotions. Yeah, and, and the thing that's really, really helped me, and I've been talking about this book for a long time, but it's called The Genie Within. Did I mention mm. it to you last time we talked on Skype? Who wrote it? I think you uh, may have. Harry Carp Carpenter. Doesn't sound familiar, but you, you may have mentioned it before. We talked about it quite a bit last time. Yeah, but... I'm telling like, because once you come to the realization that your subconscious is kind of what your emotion, your emotions are a part of the subconscious, then yes. once you learn how to communicate with your subconscious, because there are certain principles that you have to be aware of to communicate with your subconscious, um, that's what I mean about having control of your emotions. Because once you understand how your emotions work and kind of when your emotions are starting to come in and what how you can positively use your emotions and you know, the, the fact that you can visualize something and then aggregate the emotions that you want to feel based on just a visualization. Like, because, mm. um, you know, I, your subconscious doesn't know the difference between reality and something that you're visualizing, right? So that's, yeah. the, that's the exact reason why when you're having a dream, it's as real as it would be if you were actually alive doing it, you know, awake right. doing it. So that's kind of what I, that's maybe another aspect or element of what i'm talking about when i say you have control of your emotions because mm -hmm. right now i could be sitting here right someone could just wake me up from a nap and i'm completely just like 
you know, like just barely woke up. I don't know what's going on. And someone could tell me, hey, you know what? You've got two minutes and you have to go run a mile as fast as you can outside. Right. Let's just say, for instance. Yeah. If I have really, really good control of my emotions and I've, I've practiced my visualization techniques, I could literally visualize a certain event in my life or have a certain like uh, conditioned word or phrase that I've conditioned myself to basically obtain certain emotion or energy based on that, that term, then I could yeah. literally go from me being in my empty room, like about to have to go run the fastest mile of my life to then be in the emotional position of like me being at the Olympics. Yes. Like yes, I yes, know, yes. I know it's very like, cause it's something that takes like a high level of training and kind of discipline, but by technicalities, like you can develop that. You know what absolutely. I'm saying? There's mental, absolutely. Because there's, you know, there's physical conditioning and then there's psychological, emotional conditioning. Exactly. It's not just because, like, you know, if you happen to throw, if you happen to have lost your temper over a situation, that's always going to happen. But you learn techniques of when you start feeling yourself going down that emotional path, don't ignore it, embrace it and be like, okay, how do I divert this into something constructive as opposed to destructive and, and spontaneous? Exactly. And I think uh, real quick, just to finish off this kind of point is like me and my brother were just having a pretty deep conversation the other day. And we we're talking about like, have you heard of Taoism or Taoism? Yes, I have. So it's like about being in the, in the now and kind yeah. of being like not not interpreting anything as good or bad, but just kind of really just kind of going with the flow. Yes. And in my opinion, it's kind of like just going with your emotions and what you want to do in the now. Mm-hmm. Um I think there's a lot of value to be gained in that because when you go in the now, when you listen to your gut, when you go with your intuition, there's a lot of fluidity. And of course, being a human being, you're going to get to certain points where you start to feel exhausted or you start to have your mind race. But mm. so long as you kind of resolve or, um, you know, talk about that issue that you feel, whether it's through journaling, whether it's through you actually calling the person in which you've had these negative thoughts or whether it's you just talking to your best friend about the issue that you're having. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the, the, the genie within also teaches you that every thought that you have, it has a physical reaction on your body, mm-hmm. right? So if it's negative or positive, it still has an effect on your body. Right, because so, it, triggers those, it triggers all the different organs and senses and different chemical, you know, all that shit. Exactly. So, for instance, if you have a negative thought and if you don't in some shape or form express that thought or in some way find, um, what's the word, um, find some type of like perspective to just kind of to just say that you try to d- dis- disassemble that thought, then it's mm-hmm. just going to convert into a physical reaction, which could be, you know, cortisol, which could be your heart rate going up, which could yeah. be a number of negative things. And um, but if you were to immediately tackle that 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 thought, then you could quickly bounce back. Yes. You know, yeah, you don't get I, to a, yeah. you don't get to a point where you just don't have those emotions at all. But you learn these mechanisms to bounce back. And I yeah. think this goes to the idea that, you know, because I've been watching certain videos of people who would be considered the best in their craft, like martial arts and just, you know, mainly like sports and stuff. Yeah. And one of the one of the things that usually makes people the best and not just sports, just any kind of facet like if it's business or whatever the thing that makes people the the best is usually their ability to recover from circumstances from certain things that go out of line yes yes it's it's not just about when things are going right it's it's not just how you react to things going right um, because that's easy you need to think about when things go wrong and um 
the way that I just summarized that is, do you know Quincy Jones? He's a uh, Quincy Jones. He's a um, he's a legendary musician and music producer. Um, his, maybe his biggest thing he's known for is producing the Thriller album for Michael Jackson, okay. the uh, the highest selling album of all time, of course. And um, in any case, in his autobiography, uh, one of the things that he says is that like one of the things he would try to tell himself is tell himself don't just think about all the good times because when things are going good, what is there to worry about? You don't you 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 don't worry about shit when things are going good unless you're like a hypochondriac or something. He said, but far too often people don't anticipate the bad or think about, you know, saying when things are going bad. And so that's why when some people go through little downfalls or whatever, it completely wrecks whatever the fuck they have going on because it's like, damn, it's like that little bit of like, like you didn't expect things to go wrong. Like, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where like you should expect if you're trying shit because because pe- good and bad things happen to people when they're not trying shit. So if you're going to actually tr- try to like, you know, saying push the needle to some degree in whatever space you happen to be in, you have to expect that shit is going to go not as planned. And you got to be able to recover from that. Same thing like with salespeople, when they say, uh, when you're negotiating a price or whatever, they say, don't get discouraged by the first, if they, if they, if they, if they dismiss the first offer. What you're supposed to do is make the first offer something that most people wouldn't even accept, and then make the second one seem more reasonable even though the second one is actually the only price that was being offered for your product or service in the first place, you know? So it's, it's learning how to get over that initial, um, you know, you know, what it's, it's learning to get past that initial, you know, saying mistake or that initial shortfall or that initial, you know, saying whatever the fuck, or even if you don't make the sale at all is realizing, Hey, you know what? Maybe I'll catch you another time. Maybe not, but you know, take it easy. Just taking shit in stride, you know? Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Um, yeah, brother, I'm just going to ask you, I have um, a question for you that I do for for not every podcast, but just kind of podcasting, which I guess I kind of remember. Um, mm-hmm. But if you were to kind of give uh, one message to, to humanity, to the human race, you know, this is the Art of Human podcast. You know, the, pod- the podcast dedicated to celebrating humanhood via insightful, unique perspective from human beings of all walks of life. And mm-hmm. me, as the host, the the objective is to hopefully inspire listeners to live a healthier life. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of what kind of little perspective or what kind of message would you have, assuming that like the entire human race, in spite of whatever language they speak, they could they could hear your message? What what would your message be for humanity? I would say learn to embrace all sides of yourself, not for seek wholeness, but not perfection. Look to always optimize whatever side of yourself, even if that means only getting yourself up to 10% like proficiency at something. If the best you can only be is like 10% at something and you're currently at four or 5%, you know what I'm saying? Do what you can within reason to get yourself up to that you know, threshold and see where your max potential is. You know, and um, and be fluid, be water, be adaptable. Recognize that you're not always going to be right. That there's so much more to absorb from outside of yourself. And humiliation is the price of entry. I saw that off of Twitter. <laughs> like you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to accomplish anything. Any you know, a lot of people have a fantasy of being famous or being well known for something or being recognized by their peers as being important or whatever the fuck. And 
in order to do that, you have to be willing to embrace the fact that you're going to humiliate yourself. You're going to go out there with something that is super precious to you and you think is worth the world and people and other people are going to laugh at it and treat it like it's fucking tissue paper. And you have to be, so that's like four or five things, but <laughs> um, I, I guess actually if I could summarize it to one thing, I would say this. Come to grips with the fact that you and everybody else around you have things which are held dearly to them and are worthless to everybody else. One man's trash is another man's treasure, vice versa. One man's treasure is another man's trash. And I think that if more people could come to grips with that simple fact, there'd be a lot less confusion. There'd be a lot more, a lot uh, uh, more understanding of the complexity of ourselves and of one another. Hi, brother. Um, yeah, that's kind of the way I wanted to just kind of wrap up the podcast. I'll be honest. Uh, I'm pretty tired. Oh, you good, <laughs> man. You good. Based off my feeling, this is this is the moment, man. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. dude, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, I really do feel like we had a very nice, fluid conversation. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I, I'm for real. Like, I learned a lot from talking to you. Not only this time, but you know, the session that we've done before. Yeah, uh, hell yeah. I appreciate you so much for the open-mindedness that you have for for just you expressing yourself in a very honest way for you for you kind of making yourself a bit vulnerable or exposing yourself you know telling us about your past and the way you kind of grew up and certain things like that you know i, I really appreciate that yeah man and i appreciate you having me on and, and you know obviously being the type of person cultivating a space you know where people can feel that they can do that you know because it's, it's it's you know goes back and forth you know, to be vulnerable, you have to feel that there's a space for you to do that and for it to be worth, you know, to be to be worthwhile. Yeah, and that that's the whole idea between be behind the podcast. I want to have a podcast where people, you know, f- feel like they're they're gonna be listened to, of course, and and feel like they can share and talk about anything they want to not be afraid. And um, yeah, man, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I look forward to being on your podcast sometime. Yeah, absolutely, brother. We'll make it happen. All right, brother. It's been so good. Have a good day, okay? All right, you too, man. I enjoyed it. Take it easy. Peace out, brother. Yeah, peace. And that is a wrap for this episode of the Art of Human podcast. If you feel this episode was insightful or beneficial for you in any way, please make sure to share it with those you feel may also benefit. If you'd like to get sneak peek audio clips from the latest episode, behind-the-scenes footage for the podcast, or insightful content from your host Sapien, please follow at T-A-O-H Experience on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Lastly, go out there, be your sexy self, and spread that peace, love, and positivity. Sincerely, your host Sapien. Until next time.